Welcome to Lips on Life. I'm your host, Jessica Lips, and in this interview series, I'm talking to extraordinary people who are living their dreams. It's my hope that their stories will inspire you to live your own dreams. So let's get started. Today's guest is Tiffany Pham, and she embodies the word extraordinary. At only 29 years old, Tiffany is the founder and CEO of Mogul, a technology platform that allows women to connect and share information. Just to give you a sense, Mogul has more than 18 million viewers a week from more than 30,000 cities worldwide. Wow. Tiffany is a Forbes 30 Under 30, received CBS's All-Star Award in Digital Media, was named by Elle magazine as one of 30 women under 30 who are changing the world, and her list of recognitions goes on and on. Tiffany wrote a series for Forbes called How She Did It, about successful female entrepreneurs and their journeys. Let me tell you, after doing research on Tiffany and being blown away by what I found, I'm more eager than ever to know the answer to how she did it and how she does it. So let's find out now. Tiffany, thanks for being here. No, oh, Thanks so much for having me. Before I launch into your impressive career, let's start at the very beginning and learn some basics about your background. Where were you born? I was born in Paris, France, uh, actually in the 20th arrondissement, which is a really lovely district and I visit often, actually. Is your lineage of your family, is that all French? Yes, uh, so actually I'm Vietnamese, Chinese, French. And while my, most of my family members had grown up in Vietnam, because of the war, they ended up then eventually moving, depending on where they landed, whether it was Germany or France or else Orange County, California, and eventually many in Texas as well. And how'd you get to the U.S. and when? Well, when I was growing up, uh, my father was just uh, amazing. And my father and mother both sacrificed many things in order to help us, me and my siblings, get access to a better education. So ultimately, he moved us when I was very young at age 10 uh, to Plano, Texas. And there I've, I attended their amazing schools and then eventually went on, of course, to go to college in the Northeast and business school later on there as well. So where did you go to college and what did you study and how did you choose the Northeast? That's a pretty big departure from Texas. It definitely is. And I remember that... Moving to Texas, of course, I was so young. I didn't really know English then, even at the time. And then adjusting to Texan life, I remember that it was also difficult because um, I didn't know much of American culture. So I actually never visited any colleges when I was applying to college, but I would apply to certain places because I'd happened to see it in movies or TV shows. And that was the extent to the amount of research that I did on colleges. So what I happened was that, you know, I think I saw some movies about Stanford and I saw some TV shows about Yale, such as Gummo Girls. And so then eventually, because of that, I applied to Stanford and Yale and I got into both. And then I never visited either college, but then eventually decided that I wanted to go to Yale because it just seemed like such an amazing place that was different than Texan life. <laughs> That's quite a story. That's so unusual. So many people our age go on these extensive college tours. It's really rare that I hear of someone that never stepped foot on the campus before before they actually started school there. It's incredible. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, now I look back and I wonder how that all occurred. <laughs> now that I'm so much more knowledgeable about the educational system here in the U.S. But yeah, at the time, I suppose there was less focus on it, maybe just generationally. I'm not quite sure, perhaps just in my household. 
But all I knew was that regardless of where I went, Stanford or Yale, my parents had saved up so much and worked so hard for me to be able to attend college in the first place. And I would have been happy wherever because ultimately, so long as I could go to a greater school to be able to then be able to provide back to my family and also to be able to fulfill this mission that I had had to be in the media industry like the rest of many of my family members, then that's uh, when I think I realized that no matter where I was, I would be happy. But luckily, I ended up at Yale, and it was a great experience. You just mentioned that you wanted to land in media like the rest of your family members. Were your parents in the media world? What did they do? Yes, my parents worked in media in different facets, whether it was advising different governments or different media corporations all throughout the world in different ways on technology or the telecommunications side or media or film, whatever it was, uh, it was always kind of in the media sphere, even ultimately publishing a lot of family members and publishing. So I just always was passionate about that and often made promises to myself when I was younger that I would follow in their footsteps and made promises to myself that I would work to provide information access to the world like they did. So from a very early age, it was always in my blood and I was part of my passion to do this. And then eventually when I went to Yale, that even further translated it into reality when I then eventually, for example, at Yale, became publisher of our school newspaper, our weekly newspaper, the Yale Herald, and then subsequently at Harvard Business School, ended up being president of the Media Entertainment Club. And so there was always this driving passion for media and providing information and access that drove me throughout my younger life and now. Interesting. And did you study media at Yale? What, what did you major in? I majored actually in economics and international studies. But uh, I think I learned a lot in the classroom, yet it was oftentimes the things I did outside of class that taught me the most. So while I studied economics and international studies, studying languages and cultures from all around the world, and then also business principles, of course, as well in the classroom, it was outside the classroom whereby I was producing musicals on campus. I was leading our student council, senior class council. I was subsequently also publishing our school newspaper and also simultaneously launching a new magazine on campus called The Misfit, our literary magazine basically on campus at the time. And so I was just in every single facet of media in some way on campus. And that was an early habit that I adopted at Yale, whereby then by the time I was at Harvard, that continued. And then when I was after Harvard, it definitely continued even further. I ended up doing everything I could in media to learn every facet possible. So let's go back to Yale for a second. When you're there and you have this desire to do things in media and to bring great information exchange to the world, was that just a, a general thing that you knew you wanted to do or had you already honed in on how you wanted to do it? I knew that I wanted to be in media and I knew that I would work to provide information access like my family. And that was the general notion. I didn't know how it would happen. And I had had some sort of seeds of an idea when I was 14. I'd started to draw wireframes and mock-ups of what could be the product that enables me to do this. But that was age 14. And at the time, it was more of an idea that I would help to provide information access by potentially curating some of the various aspects of a woman's life. So perhaps like looking at what she's 
interested in in terms of fashion to relationships to career. So already it was the seed of the idea that eventually morphed into Mogul 15 years later. But at the time, 14 years old, it was just a small German idea. Eventually at Yale, it translated itself into just knowing that I would start this company one day for women to empower them and enable them. And it was as broad as that. But knowing that it could be one day this huge translation of this small German idea that I'd had, I then therefore knew that I had to know every facet of the industry inside and out. And how could I do that? by collaborating on campus with as many students as possible across theater and senior class councils, so kind of like the governmental aspects, to websites by becoming the webmaster for a number of organizations, to publishing and uh, the business and strategy side and finances and operations by leading the school newspaper. So I would start to develop skill sets by throwing myself into new activities whereby I could learn outside of the classroom. So you graduate from Yale. Do you go to Harvard Business School immediately, or is there a step in between? There was a step in between. I applied right away outside of Yale, so I applied pretty much age 21 right to business school and was immediately admitted. However, I asked to essentially take a few years to also then go into the media industry and be able to learn everything as much as possible before school started. So I spent a few years, therefore, working at different financial institutions, whereby because I'd be in the media group of those financial institutions, I could learn more of the financial skill sets within, whether that was different investment banks, for example, or eventually also working in different campaigns, too. Campaigns for... At the time, I volunteered for Mayor Bloomberg. So just learning different facets of the political process, too, so that then I could understand how the media was shaping that as well. And then simultaneously started serving on the business committee of the New York City Ballet so I could see how media was affected in the nonprofit space. And then simultaneously was also general managing an off-Broadway musical as well at nights. So then, therefore could see what was going on in the theater space. And then finally, I would also write at the time, I believe, for International Business Times and Forbes. So already I could get a sense of what it was like to be the actual content creator. So as you can see, again, what I had learned at Yale was to throw myself into activities, learn as much as possible. And I tried to translate that into the same thing again outside of Yale. How'd you do it all at once? That is incredible. Thank you. No, I think... I never got burnt out. I was always so passionate about everything because it was always so much fun for me to be able to learn from the very best. I would always reach out to the most incredible people with the hopes that they could teach. But I would see it as more of me giving so that then I could learn from them as opposed to them just directly teaching for my own benefit. I wouldn't see it that way. I would see it as like, how could I help them? Which only then through that collaboration, through that partnership, I could learn from them in this way. So in the end, I was always giving and giving and giving, but always as a result learning. And it was the most incredible time to be able to do that. And I would always make sure that I wasn't spreading myself too thin, that I would take on these roles and would over-deliver on them. I always set expectations, would communicate on what would make me, in their eyes, feel like a superstar, like that I was over-delivering on what they had thought would be possible. So I would always communicate in advance, find out what would 
be exceeding expectations and then over deliver on those expectations. And so then ultimately I could hold these multiple roles and build such strong relationships and such goodwill amongst huge networks of amazing rock stars because I had been a strong collaborator with them on this particular initiative. And that of course started the seed of what became ultimately a huge circle of amazing friends who then would recommend me to other people and more people because I had killed it in what maybe at the time was a very small role within their project. For example, sometimes it involved very mundane tasks, but I would always put such gusto and such passion into even that most menial task and project that in the end, I think that was always so appreciated. And then it just rose from there. And where did it take you to? So eventually it took me to Harvard Business School. And that's where I learned so much, so many key lessons in the classroom, for sure. But yet again, it was outside the classroom that I learned even more. And so while I would throw myself into the case studies during the day to discuss in class, at the same time, it was always clear that I was always excelling at the case studies around media companies, first off. And so even more so, it reinforced the decision to take on roles and projects outside of the classroom that were around media. So therefore, I would consult and advise on different aspects of the media industry within different corporations at Universal Pictures or BBC. I had a very amazing mentor who's still mentored to me today and actually one of our advisors at Mogul at the time. She took me under her wing, Anne Sarnoff, um, at BBC. And so, you know, many people at that time already taking an interest and taking me into their wings to teach me, but always because, again, that principle that I espoused earlier, because I would just go in with the philosophy of I want to give as much as possible to them so that I can learn from the very best. So... I took on all these projects at Harvard Business School. It's around that time, too, that I started producing films uh, by chance meeting filmmakers who really needed expertise on marketing and distribution. And that happened to be my forte growing up and probably even so now. And so then uh, that gave me the opportunity to help independent filmmakers in the production process and as a result become a Hollywood producer as well. Did you grow up with a passion for film? I mean, anyone could have come to you, right? It could have been songwriters or um, visual artists. How did you decide to hone in on film and really make it a part of your career? Film, I was definitely and still am so passionate about. And I suppose it was because that love of film was instilled in me as a child from my parents. They essentially went on dates every single week going to the cinema and would stay there hour after hour to watch these amazing black and white films and then eventually color films. And and so I think that's why growing up in the household, we always had movies playing all throughout the house. There wasn't a time when the TV wasn't on playing a 1950s film. And then eventually I ended up watching TV shows. I Love Lucy when I first moved to America. Yeah, so essentially loved TV and film, but especially film at that time. And then eventually my father worked for Blockbuster as well for some years. And so as a result, loved film even more so when he would bring home every Disney film possible. And uh, that's where that love and passion really came in from. Mm, that sounds like a great upbringing with all the films. Um, what's what's your favorite film that you've produced? I loved co-producing Girlfriend. It was a film back in 2010 that basically was the first North American feature film to ever feature a man with Down syndrome in the lead role. And it really helped to establish a new standard in the film industry for new talent and new voices, I believe. 
Because of all the momentum it achieved, it had premiered at Toronto International Film Festival, was subsequently called one of the most important films there by the Boston Globe, and then received so much support throughout kind of a grassroots movement all around the U.S. and internationally that it really produced that new standard in the industry for new voices and new talent. And you're still producing, right? And if yes, are you working on anything upcoming that you're excited about or can share with us? Absolutely. So what's so exciting is that with the Mogul platform, we definitely have this huge opportunity to help bring amazing information to light to our user base, Mogul Studios. And that's where Mogul Studios has a team of award-winning photographers, filmmakers, producers, incredible storytellers who co-create content in partnership with many partners that we have internationally, and then distribute that content through the platform for our users to be able to engage with. And so those content campaigns, for example, that we run in partnership with some incredible companies and initiatives generally worldwide are truly innovative and disruptive and immersive experiences for our users as well. Simultaneously, that may include as well films. Is that where you're now kind of focusing uh, your work with film, with the Mogul Studio? Yes. Outside of Mogul, I do not partner with producers any longer. It's only within Mogul Studios that I'm doing so because Mogul Studios has amazing resources and already such an amazing team that as long as there's amazing stories and concepts and ideas uh, around us from different partners, then then we will take those ideas, we'll create amazing content around it in the form of videos or film or text-based content, and then finally distribute it through the platform. I can't wait to see what comes out of Mogul Studios. Um, okay, so let's go back to Harvard. So you're at Harvard Business School. You're helping these filmmakers. Um, you have all these other opportunities outside of class. What happens next? So what happens next after Harvard Business School is that I subsequently, outside of producing feature films, start collaborating with a good friend to now work with the Beijing government. What? <laughs> Where does that come from? That's so cool. <laughs> It was an amazing time. Um, I mean, there were so many opportunities to help internationally on the media front because of our expertise in the U.S. that a number of different people would approach me to help bring that expertise abroad. And the Beijing government was uh, one uh, particular project that was brought about because of that. And that's where we launched a venture together whereby we were bridging the cultural gaps between U.S. and China by enabling Chinese resources from the Beijing government to be funding talent here in the U.S. So it was called the Beijing International Screenwriting Competition, and it enabled us to be able to source talent here in the U.S., uh, whereby we would essentially ask them to submit screenplays about China, about Beijing specifically, short films or feature films, and then eventually we picked the top ones and were able to finance them through the resources from the Cultural Assets Office of Beijing. How long did you do that? So that idea first was seeded, uh, I suppose, in 2011. We came up with the idea, developed it, and then it launched in 2013 and then uh, wrapped in 2013. So it was a two-year venture with a finite date. So the project wraps, and then? and But simultaneously, then, I'm also now starting to work in corporate America. That was actually, you know, essentially my time working at HBO and CBS, working usually in distribution, um, whether it was through the distribution of digital assets and video to marketing as well, 
to eventually business development and strategy at CBS? Because you were still trying to build your skill base or because at that point you felt like I want to be working for one of these major media companies like HBO and CBS? How, how did those come up? It was twofold. I really wanted to continue broadening my skill base, my skill sets, and I knew that by working for one of the very best in the media industry, then for sure, especially here in digital media, I could be at the correct intersection of TV and radio and digital, mobile, and websites. And so by being in this very uh, clear-cut intersection, I could be seeing across all facets in one go and being able to handle strategy and business development and all these various partnership initiatives for these different types of media was really enlightening. I got to see a lot, build a lot of friendships as well simultaneously. So that was a great experience. But also, you can't be what you can't see. And so that's a philosophy that I generally have in life. And if you apply it to that time, it was perfect to be able to see what we could one day become by seeing the grandeur of... CBS and how highly innovative it was, and yet also be able to see the weaknesses that might arise when a bureaucracy is in place and all the various boundaries that are put in when you're becoming a big corporation. So when you talk about be able to see all of these things, are you speaking generally for whatever business you might found? Or at that point, had you already decided that you wanted to, to found Mogul? And where are you in that process? Yeah, so at that time, it was just about essentially still learning. So I wasn't necessarily thinking about anything else. Um, but it was all about then thinking about how one day I would still fulfill this promise to myself and my family that I made earlier on about providing information access and yet still being able to learn as much as possible while I still had this opportunity while working in these three roles as I was still now producing feature films, working with different corporations, and then ultimately working with the Bayesian government as well. And by the way, you say to fulfill a promise. So earlier on, you said that your parents worked in media and you wanted to follow in your footsteps and you were so impressed by what they did. I get all of that. But did you actually say the words, um, say them in your heart or speak them out loud? I make a promise that this is going to be what I do with my life. Was it more of a, I want to do this, I care about this, it's my desire? Or did you actually make a promise and speak it? I made a promise and I spoke it. At 14? Yes. At 14. Wow. I feel like that's so ahead of one's time. Who does that at age 14? I mean, that's (laughs) that's an incredible commitment to make so early on and to know in your heart that that's what you were brought here to do. And that's kind of your mission in life. To feel that sense of purpose early on is incredible. It's one thing to like follow in your parents' footsteps and to want to do that and to help the world in one way. But what led you to want to make a promise? I think it was just this ongoing passion around me as well from other family members who were just doing such incredible things, whether it was running their own newspapers or running their own uh, media organizations or publishing their own books. My, you know, my father, my grandmother, my great uncle, my sister, my brother, just all such influences on that, that I too made that promise. It seemed natural to me. And you're like sitting around the kitchen table and one day you just say it? It was more, yes, I suppose I was sitting around the kitchen table or sometimes on the floor of my bedroom or sometimes essentially just on the couch, but always thinking and knowing that this is what I was going to do. Incredible. So you're working for HBO, you're working for CBS, you're doing the producing. Where does Mogul come into the picture? 
So then eventually what happened was I remember at some point I was named on Forbes 30 under 30 list in media. When that first happened, I got a lot of letters from all around the world, from India, Pakistan, China, Brazil, from all around the world, saying they had read about me online in different magazines and had read about my three jobs and could I share how I got those three jobs? Could I share the resources I'm reading every day? Could I just share links that I thought would be interesting to help them with this opportunity as well abroad? So I would get so many letters asking for advice and guidance and then I would just find a way to write back to every single letter no matter how long it took, every single day because every single time I would write someone, they would write back saying, thank you so much, like full of surprise that I actually responded. But not only that, but say, this letter changed my life. Thank you so much because this advice now helped me get that interview, that job promotion, and that opportunity that I never knew existed in our society. I had no idea that recognitions like that in turn generated such a response from the public. I had no idea that you would have gotten that kind of fan mail. Can you give us a sense? Are we talking about hundreds of letters, you know, f- five letters, 10 letters, a hundred? It started out with, you know, maybe a trickle. But when that Forbes 30 under 30 happened, for sure, it turned more into then eventually hundreds of letters per day. And per day? Yes. And now it's now it's even more so, I would say, triple that. And you res- do you still to- respond to them all? I do. Every single one? Yes, maybe it doesn't take me, I can't complete it every single day, but I do try by the end of the week to always get through as many emails as possible uh, from all these young women around the world who still email us. And there's a couple of us out there whereby, like, for example, I haven't met him yet, but Tony Shea apparently has someone, too, on his team that's fully dedicated to helping him make sure that he answers every single letter. And, um, you know, I think that's what's so amazing to see is that uh, as entrepreneurs make it more and more so, that they always find a way to give back and ensure that those who are trying to follow in the footsteps as entrepreneurs too can make it too. Okay, I've got tears in my eyes. I love that. That that's uh, what we hope for from all of our leaders. Absolutely. Good, good for you. Good for you. So you're getting all these letters from around the world, and you're responding, and and so then I start responding more and more so, and getting more and more letters and that's when I realized that perhaps it'd be amazing to have a platform whereby millions of us could share these same questions and insights and ideas and from that be able to ultimately gain access to more knowledge from one another and become that much better together and that's when the idea really clicks then that I'd first again come up with when I was 14 but when I was now at this age, probably now close to 26 or 27, it became that much clearer that this was really still needed years later and even more so now in this more tangible form. So I thought about this platform and then that's when I looked around and it made sense because there were other information and exchange hubs out there, but most of them were largely male oriented, male millennials, even, for example, Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia, of course, we all do. But at the time, I suppose, I think that Lanig exposed that there was 91% male editors. So where were the women's voices and ideas and insights? Oh, so that's interesting. So prior to getting all these letters, you knew that you wanted to do something in media. But at the time, you weren't focused on doing something for women. And then it was only through getting the letters that that kind of clicked? Exactly. In a way, it was always in my head 
because even when I was 14, it was always a combination of like knowing I would build a company for women one day to empower them and enable them. And yet at the same time, knowing that I wanted to provide information access. The ideas, the various two concepts always was interwoven inside me through an early age. So by age 14, making that promise to myself, to my family, and then, you know, at the same time at Yale, being focused on information access and media and throughout my time at Harvard Business School as well, but always throughout, always being one to help other women and always being passionate about that. And then especially then that kicking off even more so once Forbes happened and all these thousands of young women around the world were emailing me, that interwoven passion as well was a natural element to now mesh into the overall idea for Mogul. So then how'd you get it started? Were you doing it simultaneously while working at CBS? Did you quit and leave CBS? What, what was the process? So then what happened was every single day I'd work as much as possible, but at nights I'd just teach myself how to code. And I would just teach myself how to code Ruby on Rails over and over and over again so that ultimately I could build a small prototype of what could one day be a very powerful platform for young women to be able to upload anything that they found interesting on the internet and then eventually upvote it, downvote it, be able to ultimately see what was trending amongst women's conversations all around the world right now in this moment on the homepage, see what was on top of women's minds. And ultimately, after coding, after a couple of weeks, really had burgeoned as now a junior coder as jobs eventually died down because some projects were coming to fruition and culminating and finalizing and eventually coming to an end. Then then it gave me even more time to eventually be able to code even more so. So after a couple of weeks, I built the first iteration of Mokul. And then I sent it off to these now young girls all around the world who had been following me. And Unexpectedly, it ended up launching to a million users within its first week, becoming one of the fastest growing content platforms for women. What? (laughs) I mean, that speaks to the fact that there was a need and a desire for something like this. You must have been blown away. Yeah, totally blown away. It was really unexpected at the time, I remember. Although in hindsight, now I understand why some of the elements that came into play basically probably is what produced that very viral effect. But at the time, it was unexpected, and it burgeoned more and more so, so that now, fast forward to today, we reach 18 million per week. And... When it reached a million in that first week, were you just like, oh my gosh, was it so much that you couldn't handle it and you needed to take a load off your plate with some of those jobs? Or did you continue doing everything simultaneously for a while? I pretty much quit everything, resigned from everything as soon as the platform launched. Because in a way, there was no way that I could support all these amazing women on the platform if I were to be devoted to multiple things. I wanted to devote myself fully to them and through the platform, be able to help them as much as possible. So at that time, resigned from everything, was fully focused, and that was it. And uh, a million people in one week, did you quickly sign on some other people to help you on staff, or were you still doing it on your own? I was doing it all on my own. That's incredible. (laughs) Thank you. Well, looking back, it is pretty funny because at the time... 
it just seemed so natural that I should just be doing as much as possible to help them and help them. So I was working 24-7, designing, writing, everything, you know, um, coding and building partnerships, ultimately to grow the organization, service the one million myself. But of course, I needed help. I needed someone to support. And so finally was able to bring in some amazing, amazing investors who believe so much in our mission and movement, such as the co-founder of Match.com. He was the very first person I ever pitched to. And he immediately understood the idea, loved the traction, believed in us. And so uh, immediately invested and that enabled me with that first investment to bring on our first hire. And when was that? When did you launch Mogul? So that was ultimately ultimately mid-2014. And where is the company today? Can you give us um, a snapshot of the different programs that you have and what you offer and kind of what you're working on or excited about for the future? Yeah, of course. So the Mogul platform is now reaching 18 million women per week. We're accessed every single day by all 196 countries and 31,000 cities. And it's truly taken on a global scale and reach, whereby we are helping to advance gender equality and quality education through the platform by enabling so much exchange of information, enable economic opportunity and access to knowledge from each other. So that's been incredible to see. And at the same time, we are supported by two arms, one of which, as I've mentioned before, is Mogul Studios. The other is called Mogul at Work. Mogul at Work is composed of multiple components to help these employers retain, advance, and ultimately attract amazing female millennial talent. And millennial talent in general, to be honest, because obviously it's applicable to all. But basically on the job front, corporate partners can now post jobs to the mogul platform and ensure they can tap into our 18 million women to be able to place them in the workforce and create a huge pipeline of talent for themselves. Then simultaneously, we also have the opportunity for them to provide free access to our mentorship channel, whereby then their employees get access to these amazing mentors globally who are experts in their industries, and therefore the employees can email 24-7 any question they may have about life and career and get an immediate response back. The mentorship channel is amazing. And then lastly, there's courses and trainings as well available for their employees to be able to gain access to further skill development across life and career subject matters, as well as unconscious bias training, leadership training, management training, and entrepreneurship training. Well, Tiffany Pham, you have done so much, and you're just getting started. Age 29, I still can't get over it. We have so much more to expect. As we wrap up the interview, um, uh, tell me just a few quick things. Uh, one is, how do you do it? Do you sleep? Are you balanced? Like, do you, do you have time to have fun outside of work? I mean, this absolutely sounds like an all-consuming 24-7 job being CEO of this huge company. D- do you balance? Well, that's a really good question. And actually, increasingly, I've heard some of the most amazing women that I admire and respect say something that resonated with me so much, which is that they don't believe in work-life balance, but instead into work-life integration. And I thought that was so smart because in reality, when I looked back upon my life and the way in which I conduct myself each day, I do find ways in every way possible, actually, to integrate work and life together. So that in the end, I'm not making a trade-off. In the end, I'm working with my greatest friends in the world. I'm partnering with my greatest friends as well across their companies. And I'm able to support them you know, outside the workplace, 
on their various roles and initiatives that they may be carrying on, which ultimately brings back to the Mughal platform too, as we support them and that brings people back. So it's a very circular way to live. And I think that's an amazing way to live. What advice do you have for other people that are trying to start businesses, other entrepreneurs, other CEOs? What, what do you want to share um, for those who aspire to achieve the same kind of success that you've been able to, to have? That's a great question. And I think in terms of advice, it really comes down to three things for me. First, in terms of your idea, if you ever come up with something amazing in your head, just start to vocalize it. Start to socialize the idea and hear others' feedback. Stick to what you came up with, but start to incorporate those ideas that you hear around you as well, because altogether it's going to become perfect in the meantime. So what I mean to say by that, though, is that Rapidly prototype, in other words, and iterate towards perfection over time through feedback. And that's really important to rapidly prototype because I can't tell you how many times I'll speak to someone and they're afraid to get started because it won't be perfect at the beginning. And it seems like common sense, therefore, to rapidly prototype and iterate towards perfection over time. But I see that fear sometimes prevents someone from doing so. So don't let that fear get to you. Don't hesitate just because it won't be perfect. Just go for it, rapidly prototype, do it, and then it'll become perfect over time. Don't worry, it'll get there. Then next, it's about reaching out to the business leaders around you who you admire, but also your peers who may have incredible resources and connections and friendships that lend to the overall organization growth uh, for the business that you've built. You know, speak out, reach out, warm connections, cold connections, it doesn't matter. Just feel that courage and confidence to reach out, whoever they may be, and and find a way to get in front of them and propose that you do something together, that you collaborate, you partner, and find a, a project that's essentially a win-win situation for you both. Don't have a fear of reaching out. Always voice what it is that you need. Always say what it is that you are currently working on because you'll be so surprised that if you bring it up in every single conversation that you have to that person, A, it will be very interesting and B, they'll very likely have something to share with you that you didn't consider before. A resource, a connection, a question. The last piece is that despite the two things I just mentioned, in the end, if you always are kind, authentic, and generous, you'll always be giving off the kind of spirit that will take you that much further. Well, Tiffany Pham, in the time that I have known you and the correspondences that we've had, you have been kind, authentic, and generous. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all of your insights and your wisdom. And I can't wait to see what else you have in store for us. This is Jessica Lips with Lips on Life. Thank you for listening.